Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. Coming up on episode 17 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss our opinions on the return of the new MLS TV season, how Fox Sports stooped to a new low this week, how PlayStation View customers are seeing double, as well as our opinions on whether Premier League TV viewing numbers are plateauing in the US or not. Uh, Kartik Krishnaya is my co-host. Kartik, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, Chris? Good, good. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing very well. Uh, Swansea's on the up and up, so I can't complain. Um, so my, my, my name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and we're going to jump right into uh, what we've been watching. Kartik, what have you been watching this past week that's uh, of note? Well, I guess the return of any MLS was the uh, the most significant uh, thing that I watched this weekend and had an article on World Soccer Talk talking about the highs and lows for Fox Sports and ESPN. Uh, tried to focus on the She Believes Cup, but unfortunately, WSVN in my market did not show the U.S.-England game, the Fox affiliate in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale market. I did get to watch USA-France, uh, which was a, a very one-sided game, very impressive performance from, from the French team. The performances I expected to see from the French team two years ago at the World Cup, they played into the World Cup in 2015 brilliantly until uh, they fell off in the Algarve Cup and then uh, in the World Cup uh, allowed themselves to um, to be beat by Germany or, or lost on penalty kicks, but uh, to, to be eliminated in the quarterfinals in a game where they completely controlled the possession, completely lost the game, and did not take their chances. And this game against the United States last night as we record on Wednesday morning, they were brilliant. They took their chances in the first 10 minutes, put the game to bed. I, I know uh, J.P. Del Cameron and Allie Wagner, who had a good call, good game for, for Fox, for FS1, were consistently trying to um, build a case for how the U.S. could get back into the match. But the U.S. Uh, playing in a new formation in a 3-5-2 or a variation of the 3-5-2 uh, didn't seem to have the sort of width you would expect coming out of that formation. Uh, believe it or not, even with the wing backs or, or, or the wingers, and uh, France was able to keep the ball, keep possession, and really uh, boss the game. And then they got a third goal about midway through the second half, and then put the game to bed. And, and if anything, they looked like they were they would get a fourth on the counter. So that was a uh, interesting game to watch. Um, and I felt like um, I think that uh, the U.S. has had. Um, 
warning signs for several years that there needs to be some sort of um, reform. And I think it's reform within the system. I mean, we can talk about systems and playing styles and Tom Sermani, who was the former manager who got sacked before Jill Ellis tried to change the style of play mm-hmm. and, and uh, rely less on athleticism and more on kind of uh, thinking and, and tactics. Now Jill Ellis is trying to transition the squad to a different way of playing I think the reason it's not working as well as some people would like is that there are inherent structural defects in the U.S. soccer system that winning and winning based largely on athleticism and the standout performances of a couple of superstar players amass the problems for U.S. soccer. But uh, several of us have been talking for many years about the fact that the big European nations seem to have caught the United States in women's soccer, uh, France, Germany, England, and others. And, uh, had expected the World Cup in 2015 to be kind of the unmasking of the United States, where uh, where Sweden, where uh, Australia, where France, Germany, England, uh, upstaged the U.S. That didn't happen, mm-hmm. but it did happen in the Olympics in 2016 with Sweden eliminating the United States, and then these last two matches, particularly this uh, France match, uh, you see the gap that's beginning to open up yeah. in between. United and, States in those countries. Yeah, and I mean, for some of us, it's definitely not a surprise. I mean, this is definitely a uh, U.S. women's team that's in transition. But uh, I mean, France in particular. I mean, that's I forgot her name, but the the right winger. I mean, storming down down the wing, uh, the speed, the agility, and then the crossing the ball into the box uh, completely tore the U.S. Uh, women's team apart. But for me, though, too, I mean, watching these games was of interest, definitely. But, um, of course, I was looking at the, the TV production and TV broadcast. And I thought, while the U.S. women's team didn't do that well in this tournament, uh, probably far from it, um, the production was great. I, I really enjoyed uh, Tony DiTiccio giving his analysis. Um, and he for the U.S. women's uh, game against England, right off the bat, within the first couple of minutes, he, he dove right in and discussed... Um, like basically why Jill Ellis is, is playing a 3-5-2. And I thought that was a refreshing start that wasn't condescending to the audience, uh, was going right in and talking at, at kind of a higher tactical level. Uh, and he was partnered by Jenny Taft. I think Jenny Taft did great. And like you mentioned too, Kartik, the commentary by uh, JP Della Camera and Ali Wagner. Uh, for me, yeah, fantastic uh, production. I too was disappointed in terms of um, WSVN in Miami not showing the game. Uh, but there were five other affi- affiliates uh, throughout the uh, U.S. that didn't show the game, and that was uh, Salt Lake City, Raleigh, uh, Columbus, Augusta, and Birm- Birmingham, Alabama. So six uh, Fox affiliates in total that didn't show the game and showed other programming. Um, maybe this one was just because it was um, maybe Fox. Well, that's not... That's not really not good to hear about Raleigh because they're, they are getting an NWSL team that starts play next month. Right. Uh, in that market with some of the players who would have been playing uh, in this game uh, being the featured uh, players that are going to try and draw drive market audience, drive the audience in that mar- market to North Carolina Courage games. And then Salt Lake City is a uh, is high on the NWSL expansion list. So that's uh, really discouraging that those two markets are on there in addition to, to Miami. Yeah, and it may have been that just Fox, in terms of maybe scheduling this game, and didn't get the the buy-in from those affiliates until I mean, it was, until it was too late. But but uh, definitely disappointing there. Uh, going back to what you said earlier in terms of the MLS games, I, I did watch a few this weekend. Uh, the Portland Minnesota game uh, was an enjoyable game to watch. Actually, actually, all the games I watched were enjoyable from a football perspective in terms of um, the football on the pitch. Uh, 
I liked it. And, and, and that's always the same reaction I usually get on opening weekend of Major League Soccer season is, it's good football. It's not that bad. It's, it's, it's watchable. It's decent. Um, and with Fox on the Friday night broadcast of the Portland, Minnesota game, they had some satellite issues, um, transmission issues, which is probably out of their control, but it is what it is. Um, the Orlando, New York City FC game on the Sunday, the stadium Kartik looks absolutely incredible, um, especially with the safe standing area behind uh, the, the goal. Uh, every fan, of course, wearing purple. And from a TV perspective, it was an amazing spectacle because you had the atmosphere, you had the new stadium, the quality pitch, and also I loved the overhead shots that uh, ESPN did, either from a, a plane or a helicopter, kind of just uh, above the, the stadium, kind of just showing what's happening on, on the pitch from, from a distance. Um, and then the Sunday night game, the Atlanta, uh, New York Red Bulls. Again, another fantastic, fantastic atmosphere. Um, the stands are really close to the field and the level of play was entertaining. Uh, I think all in all, I mean, that, that's, that's always the struggle with MLS is that, you mean, it's longevity is that what's the incentive to continue watching through, you mean, kind of the, through the summer months, you mean, especially when usually over 50% of the teams uh, make the playoffs anyway. That's the challenge to me is that they have all of the right ingredients, but perhaps they have the wrong recipe in terms of the way that the league is structured, where it doesn't give incentives to actually continue watching throughout the entire season to see who finishes in first or second. It's okay. It's all about making the playoffs, and, and that kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah, and we've seen the last two seasons teams that uh, did not perform well, particularly well in the regular season. Uh, both teams came on all late, Portland and Seattle, and because playoffs were structured, it was, I mean, when the playoffs said Seattle, I thought might win MLS Cup. I had them in the finals against the Red Bulls, and it turned out it was against Toronto, but they were uh, very poor for most of the season. They were one of the worst teams in MLS for much of the season, and that really didn't change. They had a, they had a good win against Dallas in early July, but that really didn't change till September. And... Um, that was the similar situation with Portland where they were struggling. They were pretty mediocre until they went to Los Angeles the sec- next to last week of the 2015 season, uh, went to the Galaxy and won 5-2 to two, and then went on a tear and won, and won the MLS Cup. So it, it takes away the relevance from these early season games, the, the size of the playoffs. Um, the flip side is, unfortunately, when you don't have relegation, you have to have as large a playoffs as possible in order to keep some interest at the bottom of the table. So uh, MLS folks won't admit it, but this is a byproduct of them not having relegation is the fact they have such a large playoffs. Because I think they, I, I think there are people around MLS that understand this, that the playoffs probably should be four or six or eight teams, not 12 teams. Mm-hmm. But they, um, they have uh, – they keep some sort of interest in games for teams that are toward the bottom of the table because of um, where they are in terms of being a close league and not having relegation and not having any relevance for teams at the bottom of the table. Now, as it turns out, uh, the last few years, there have been some teams that are so bad, they're out of the playoff race for all intents and purposes with six weeks left to go in the season. But generally, that wouldn't be the case because they let so many teams into the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. And, and then from this past weekend, too, in terms of some of the other games I watched, just to throw them out there, Kartik, and, and feel free to join in if, if you um, watched any of these, too. Uh, Augsburg against Leipzig on Friday. Uh, we had uh, Keith Costigan and Eric Winalda announcing. Uh, I thought it was a good first half. It was a very physical game, lots of fouls back and forth, very, very competitive. 
And uh, one of the stars uh, on display that day on that, on that match was uh, Nabi Keita, uh, had a really uh, excellent performance. Uh, on Saturday, then I was watching the Man United uh, Bournemouth match as well as the the Swansea uh, Burnley game, and and this one, Kartik, this really kind of we've talked about this for the last several weeks. Uh, video assistant referees uh, in these cases are badly needed. Uh, the Man United against Bournemouth game, actually, you could argue perhaps maybe they're not needed because with uh, with the FA coming down and and on um, Zlatan and Tyron uh, Mings and, and issuing kind of these um, these bans. Uh, perhaps, you mean, maybe in this case it's not needed. But anyway, th- this game had a little bit of everything. There was a, a save penalty. There was controversial decisions. There was a red card. Uh, I think Bournemouth, one of their coaches, was sent to the stands at halftime. There were handball incidents galore in this ma- match. Um, and I think the only thing that was missing was it was a spectacular goal. Um, but in terms of the video assistant referee, uh, I mean, c- combing through all of the... All the stuff that that happened, I mean, they would have had a, I don't know how much time they would have taken if they had a video assistant referee to go through the Zlatan elbow, uh, Tyrone Ming stamping on Zlatan's head, and then other off-the-ball incidents too. This is a really, uh, a, a game that Man United desperately wanted to win to kind of get into the top four uh, and failed. And, and fair place to Bournemouth for sticking, sticking in there for most of the match with uh, with 10 players, but a very, very eventful game to watch. And then you had the Swansea-Burnley game, which I watched. Uh, and actually, this last couple of months, at least, I think to me, at least, I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm biased in this case. But Swansea's been a really entertaining team to watch because they've been, you know, on the attack, lots of goals, um, lot, you know, very entertaining. But in this match, uh, in the first half, there was an incident where St- Sam Vokes, the Burnley striker, handled the ball um, in the um, in the box. And the referee, uh, Anthony Taylor, awarded a penalty kick against Swansea uh, to Burnley. And Burnley uh, struck the, the penalty home and uh, got got that goal. But, um, I mean, a horrible decision. Uh, Anthony Taylor at halftime said he made an honest, honest uh, decision and thought it was a Swansea player that handled the ball when it wasn't, in fact. But, but again, more refereeing controversy and uh, another instance where if we did have a video assistant referee, that, that's something that could be sorted out in a matter of seconds, basically, to say that, no, that, that should not have been the penalty kick. Um, that should have been uh, a free kick for Swansea. And then Kartik, uh, behind the badge, I'm not sure if you had a chance to watch that this weekend, uh, the first episode, I watched that on Saturday uh, the one on West Bromwich Albion, uh, episode one was really, I mean, to me, some good insights into how, how different Tony Pulis is as, is as a coach and how his, uh, unconventional approach is refreshing, uh, not only to his players, but I think to, to the league, uh, as a whole. It's, it's old fashioned in some ways, um, but he is very kind of a man manager, um, and also focuses on hard work and, and uh, set plays, I mean, especially free kicks, throw-ins, etc. Uh, from this episode, to me at least, there was nothing mind-blowing, but it was in- enjoyable to watch. And uh, it did a good job of laying down the foundation and giving some background on West Bromwich Albion. And I learned a few things about, about the Albion in terms of uh, the supporter base and some of the songs that they sing. How about you, Kartik? Any, any uh, insights on that one? Part about the match day program is most fascinating because there's a template that most clubs use and match day programs traditionally very similar place to place. They're indispensable parts of British football culture, but they are generally the same. At West Brom, they use rock music 
uh, lyrics, rock music history as an inspiration to, uh, to generate the, uh, the theme for each match day program. I thought that was one of the neatest things I've seen. It really in any of these Premier League uh, behind the scenes or behind the badge uh, shorts or, or uh, 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 Premier League download series that we've seen on NBC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they went into some background in terms of some of the program covers and how they've been using um, album covers as kind of inspiration to to for some of these covers. That that was interesting. I thought that was a novel take. Um, one of the things, though, too. I mean, I mean, can't take it from the Watford Crystal Palace and now the West Brom one is that it is kind of getting into kind of predictable, though. I mean, it's kind of the interview the guy that does the program, the interview. Uh, the kit man and the interview. I mean, it's the same type of people that, that have similar jobs. I mean, they all have probably s- s- uh, different opinions in terms of how they do their work, but it is getting a little p- bit predictable in terms of uh, the formula that they're putting together for these behind the badge series. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, uh, that's certainly true, which is why, uh, I mean, I liked seeing some of the, the outside novelty things they did with Watford and now they've done, there hopefully we'll do some with West Brom in the remaining, I, I assume it's three parts left in the series, right? They've all been yeah. four parts. Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, Sunday was the Spurs Everton match. And, uh, what a crazy ending to this match. It was, uh, it felt like a basketball game where the most, most of the excitement was in the last five or 10 minutes of the match. And, uh, there were two goals in injury time. It looked like a very comfortable win for, uh, for Spurs, but then Everton bounced back and, uh, caused some nervous, uh, twitchy bombs, I guess, at uh, White Hart Lane, but uh, crazy ending. But, but uh, overall, uh, I guess, an exciting game. The the goal that uh, Deli Ali scored, that uh, Harry oh, Winks uh, played on that that free kick, that's one of the best goals. I mean, I know there are other ways of spectacular goals you'll see, but that's one of the most the best executed set piece moves you'll ever see in your life. That that was fantastic. Yeah, and, and it's one of those ones he made it look so easy. But uh, if anyone's played the game of soccer, you, you know how difficult that is in terms of just the touch uh, to get that into the into the corner. It it was absolutely sensational. And, uh, and then we had the West Ham United against Chelsea match on the Monday. And to me, Kartik, this was such a one-sided game. I mean, Chelsea could have won this one 5-0 pretty comfortably. Uh, the scoreline suggests otherwise, but it was, it was a, a walk in the park for Chelsea. Yeah, very important to note that against the four teams, uh, the big four, if you would call them that, uh, Man City, uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, and uh, Man United, last season West Ham took 12 points at home at the bowling ground. And this season they took, I believe, zero against those four teams, or have zero at this point against those four teams. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and that, um, yeah, I think it is zero, right? They, they, they played all four of them. And, and that's, um, that is to me a reflection of the ground. The ground is still, uh, and this is, this is one of the, and maybe it's an excuse. I've made this excuse. I made it on another show I was on yesterday about what, why, uh, the host of that show grilled me. Well, you're a big Pochettino fan. I'm a Pochettino fan also, but how do you explain Spurs, uh, disaster in Champions League? How do you explain that? And then how do you explain them being eliminated in the Europa League? And my explanation, and maybe it's simplistic, maybe it's naive, maybe it's defensive of Pochettino is Wembley. He's playing in a stadium like that, and the and the opposition gets up for games at Wembley, mm-hmm. um, and you lose your home 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 uh, home pitch advantage, which I think Spurs very clearly lost in Europe. I think for West Ham, 
very similar at, at the London Stadium. And unfortunately, this game, we had another incident of hooliganism, much like we did when they played Chelsea in the League Cup and much like we did in some of the early matches. Uh, and, uh, props to John Champion and Danny Higginbotham for calling that out right there and then on the broadcast and uh, ma- making reference to what was going on, not white. Washington, but again, security at London Stadium, a problem. Um, I found, I found, uh, more interest in this match was not interesting, as you mentioned. It was a one-sided match. I found more interest, uh, in NBC's, uh, presentation before and after the match. So, uh, they had, uh, on Premier League Live Monday the same nonsense, I call it, with the surface tablets with, with Robbie Earl and, uh, Kyle Martino going through, uh, Lanzini's movement and Fabregas's movement and very kind of basic stuff that they would, they would point out anyway in the, the normal chain of events, chain of broadcast. In fact, it's stuff that, uh, Kyle Martino has pointed out regularly about Fabregas. He's now just using this tool to illustrate it. So to me, that was quite annoying. I thought that there was a, uh, Really good conversation between. Yes. Actually, just going back to to the tablet thing for an in, uh, just one more thing is one thing that they did different. I, I completely agree with you. It, to me, it's um, it's it's horrible that they're doing it. I, I just dis, dislike it incredibly. But one of the things they did differently this week, I don't know if you noticed it, was that Robbie Musto. They they basically kind of uh, hung on to him for like maybe like one or two more seconds and showed him with his uh, stencil, I guess. Uh, Touching the actual, uh, tablet service, and, and then it went straight to kind of showing the video of the Lanzini, you mean, kind of, um, dissection of his tactical analysis. But I just thought it was interesting that they kind of probably pretended that Robbie was actually clicking on, on the, on the key, on, on the actual screen in order to actually yeah. show it. But yeah, it's really cheap ploys by them. I, I was just really disappointed in that. Yeah, and so uh, that was a low point for that pregame show, but then a uh, high point was just a few minutes later, Liam McHugh and uh, Steve Bauer had a really good conversation where they uh, they hit a number of topics, and, and uh, this, I think, is the kind of thing that's missing from uh, NBC shows on the weekend, and I know there's probably a lack of availability of talent to come on and discuss it immediately before and after matches, or when they do match of the day which we know they record soon after the matches are over, even though it airs much later in the evening. Uh, the time they record it is generally the time that it airs when they do the few live match of the days they, they do every season. I'm not sure if they've done one this season, actually, but last season they had a few mm-hmm. that were live and were on uh, at uh, 2.30 or 3.30 Eastern time. So uh, th- th- that was a really insightful conversation between McHugh and Bauer. But I, to me, it was um, I was thinking, gosh, this is, this is what we're missing. I mean, I complain about kind of the monotony now of NBC shows on Saturdays and Sundays. This is the, this is the element we're missing. And yeah, they, they, they pull Neil Ashton in from time to time, but he's busy reporting on whatever match at, at whichever venue he's at. And in the, and in the case of Bauer, we know he's got BBC commitments, um, on the weekends, uh, match of the day commitments. So, uh, maybe they just don't have the availability of talent, but that was a, that was a really good segment to watch. So I, I was, uh, I, I was happy with, with, with that. And, um, then of course Tuesday, um, I, I, you know, it, it's such a tired subject now. But um, there was uh, obviously Arsenal. They got beat again five to one. They lost ten to one. Get to to Bayern. Uh, the most interesting piece from that entire game, I think, was after the match where Alexi Lawless on Fox called out Alexis Sanchez and Peter Peter Cech for their. Um, their seeming amusement after the fifth goal for Bayern. 
Um, I see this both ways. I think Wallace was probably right to, to call him out, but at, at the same time, Czech and Sanchez are the two winners, real bona fide winners on that Arsenal team that have won at, at other places and at their previous stops in their career and know how to win uh, uh, big matches and were probably frustrated and embarrassed. And maybe the laughter came because of that. Maybe it was exacerbated laughter. Maybe it was, uh, um, just a defense mechanism. If it was, uh, if they were mocking the team, well then, yeah, Lawless is correct. But we, we really don't know. I'm thinking maybe it was the opposite. But then, uh, this became, uh, the talking point on ESPN FC. And then also on ESPN FC, I'd love to get your take on this, Chris. Craig Burley said enough about this. Um, you know, we feel bad for Wenger. He's done such a great job. He's been such an ambassador for English football. He's not Mother Teresa. He's not the Pope. He's not a guy who's, uh, who's, who's invented some sort of mechanism for crops to feed the world or bottling water to, to, to uh, for, for the in Africa. This is a football manager for, for heaven's sakes. Get off it. Okay. It's time for him to go. So, um, it, it, it was a classic rant, yeah. uh, but from a football perspective, uh, then I guess that applies to everybody in football. You really shouldn't feel sorry for anyone. He said, look, this guy makes seven million pounds a year, right. and he's a football manager, okay? Yeah, yeah. it's the same thing about uh, Claudio Ranieri. I mean, it's a job. At the end of the day, it's a job. And, uh, of course, for our su- we supporters who have much closer allegiances to our clubs – we're not getting paid millions of dollars by any means, but it's a different relationship. And, and to those managers, it is a job. And, uh, if any, any workforce, if, uh, Kartik, your place, my place, at any place, if someone's not performing to the level that they're, of the expectations, then it's, it's time for a heart to heart conversation to see yeah. if they're the fit. Yeah. And I, I think Burley probably won me over with that because I've been on the fence. I've said, yeah, probably Wenger should go, but I, I feel bad about it because, again, I'm in this sentimental thing. Oh, a few people have meant as much the Premier League English football as Arsene Wenger. And I do, I do hang on to the fact that Wenger loves Arsenal so much he turned down what at least at this point appeared to be their jobs. Maybe they weren't at the time. Mm-hmm. Barcelona, or not, maybe not Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, uh, the French, French national team, uh, to stay at Arsenal and that he's been such a custodian of the club. He's looked after their finances, unlike other men who'll blow through money, Harry Redknapp, for example, and then just move on to the next job. So I feel bad in that sense, but yeah, Burley's right. He's just a football manager. We're, we're treating him like he's, uh, like he is the Pope or he's Mother Teresa. And they, uh, that, a lot of that in the English press, but I think there's so many people English press who don't know football and English football so it's it's a tough thing yeah it, it is interesting because it, it's it seems to me at, le- at least from the Arsenal board that they they wanted to give him to the end of the season and say okay let's give him a chance to to go out on a high and go deep in the Champions League or let's see if he can go out on a high in, in the Premier League or or one of the cup competitions and they've given him the rope and he hasn't come through with that and it's just the same old stuff um, yeah, it's definitely time for him to go. I mean, it's one of those things that I think uh, Arsenal have given him plenty of opportunities and um, probably the money was there to spend on, on other players if he wanted to, but he's been very stubborn in terms of his his methods, which have worked incredibly well in, in the early days of Arsenal, but in the last I mean, last half a decade, uh, not so much. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's time for him to to depart, and it's probably good timing on, on his part too. I think he's probably... Um, 
he's probably open to having maybe a, a change of heart or, or, or doing something different that uh, than, than he has in the past, perhaps a, a new lease, of, lease in life, so to speak. So Kartik, uh, one of the things about this Arsenal Bayern Munich match um, that came to light was now something that we've raised before on the World Soccer Talk podcast. This is going back a few weeks ago for the Man City against Monaco game. And at the time, kind of, uh, kind of gave everyone a heads up in terms of keep an eye on Fox Sports because it looked like they were having John Strong and Stu Holden uh, pretending to be at the stadium. And uh, with the lighting and the camera angle and the green screen, uh, basically kind of I was looking at that saying, okay, that, that looked very much like they were doing it from the studio. Well, it turns out to be that uh, for the Arsenal Bayern, Bayern match, they did the same exact thing again. Uh, this time with, they had John Strong and Stu Holden dressed up in suits, ties, jackets, uh, in front of a green screen. And on the green screen, they had uh, a live video shot of uh, the Emirates Stadium. And, uh, and they pretended to be at, at in London, in North London, at, at the stadium. And, uh, even during the broadcast too, um, there's a couple of times that, that uh, John Strong kind of referenced, kind of almost hinting that they were at the stadium just in some of the remarks he made. But, uh, but it, it, we, we went, went ahead and posted the video on worldsoccertalk.com as well as an article kind of going into more detail. But really it's, to me at least, it's a very dishonest move, um, to try to trick and mislead the viewers into thinking that your, your talent is actually at the stadium when they're not. They're in Los Angeles in a, in a Fox sports studio just calling the game off the monitor. And I have no problem with, with, uh, talent calling games off the monitor. The problem I have is misleading the actual viewers into thinking that these people are actually at the stadium when they're not. They're they're you know, six thousand miles away. Uh, I don't know if Kartik, did you catch uh, any of that pre-match? Uh, I did not. As I, as I said last week, I'm less bothered about it um, than than you are because I, I know the limitations uh, on on Fox's budget and such. Now, the thing that concerns me. Is John Strong is one of is one of the very best, if not the best, wing in the United States. Is he going to get burnt out by calling all these matches? I mean, I don't know how he's preparing. He did a game Friday night. Oh, uh, he yes, he did a game Friday night yep. uh, in Minnesota and Portland. Uh, then he did, and I understand Portland games are easier for him to prepare for because he knows that team so well, and, and that's uh, the the team he worked with pre prior to, to moving to NBC and then to Fox. Then he call then he goes cross country. He and Lawless calls the uh, Atlanta New York game Sunday night, and I uh, had indicated uh, uh, in my piece that I felt like Lawless's analysis became very stale in the second half of that game. I thought he had had a good opener uh, in Portland, but then didn't do very well in Atlanta because he's calling a second game in three nights. Then. Um, and 3,000 miles away, 2,500 miles away. Then Strong flies back to Los Angeles, sits down with Stu Holden, and has to call Arsenal Bayern. Now, I understand he called the first leg, so might have been prepared. And again, John Strong's a professional. He did a good job. I don't know if he's doing Barcelona PSG today. He might be. Um, he's certainly probably going to do a Europa League game on Thursday. And then he's got an MLS game, Portland, and the Galaxy on Sunday. Uh, and that's, a lot, that's a lot of games to call. And I don't know if there's a Bundesliga game. I don't think there is, but there might be a Bundesliga game there that he's calling somewhere. Uh, that's a lot of, a lot of soccer to call in, in one week. And we know, I have to look at the MLS schedule, but it's already come up and talking to some folks. Is it possible he's going to call the Champions League final? Um, in person in Cardiff and then fly back to the United States because it's in Cardiff. It's not in Moscow or in uh, Kiev or someplace really uh, very far east. It's in Cardiff, which makes it very easy to get back to the States. 
very, very easy, particularly if there's a game on the East Coast. Is he going to end up calling the MLS game the next night? Yeah, I'm more concerned about John Strong, basically kind of the image of him, basically kind of being presented as in being at the Emirates Stadium, pretending to be there, lying to the viewers, I mean, breaking the trust between the broadcaster and the viewer, and destroying that trust. I mean, I mean, John Strong, to me, is definitely the number one American commentator in the country, bar none. I mean, he's, he's number one. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, it's not even a debatable point. Right. And, and, and Stu Holden, to me, is up there. He's, he's probably in the top three, kind of the best, uh, US, uh, co-commentators or, uh, analysts. Uh, and the two of them work together really, really well. But to, to me, I, I worry more so about their career legacy in terms of every time they're in front of a camera, are we to now look at the, the broadcast and go, okay, are, are they actually at the stadium or are, are they in a studio with a green screen? And to me, it's it just really a dishonest approach. And I'm, and I'm sure that John Strong and Stu Holden had no say in the matter, that, that either it was, I don't know, David Nathanson or Eric Shanks or John T. Whitehead or one of the executives at Fox Sports and perhaps all three of them that said, okay, this is what you're going to do. This is how we're going to set it up and just do it. So I, I feel sorry for John Strong and Stu Holden because it does hurt their image. I mean, to, to me as a viewer, the people that see this, they can see right through it and they will question in the future, I mean, are they actually even at the stadium or not? Um, I, I think in terms of, um, I mean, we've seen this from Derek Gray too. Derek Gray was doing, uh, when I say we see this from Derek Gray, I mean, in terms of a lot of travel time and, and burnout factor and, and, and doing a lot of games. It's, it's doable. And I think John Strong, I mean, he has to kind of be extremely careful in terms of, um, not trying to get burnt out. And especially with these Champions League games too. I mean, like, let, let the world feed do it. I mean, he doesn't have to be pretending to be in a studio in LA with Stu Holden. Let the world feed do it. Give him a break for a few days and then let him come back later in the week for, um, for the uh, MLS game. Uh, I have, I have no problem with that. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd be very surprised, actually, if he's not at the Champions League final in Cardiff. Um, I'm pretty sure he'll be there with Stu Holden, uh, live and in the flesh. But, and, and I think, and I think what Fox needs to do now, because they've lost Champions League rights, obviously, after the 2018 World Cup, and that, that goes to Turner Sports, is that they need to use Champions League as a way to build excitement for their FIFA properties, Confederations Cup this summer, World Cup in 2018. And because of that, I think they might even be more incentivized to send John Strong over there than they would otherwise. I think they, they have to look at it now as a way to feed, uh, the coverage. And, uh, they did that, um, they gave Gus Johnson, uh, I know uh, neither of our favorite char- characters, favorite experiments, but they gave Gus Johnson some Premier League games in 2013 knowing they were losing the rights, uh, to add that. NBC was picking it up on the other side of uh, the summer. So uh, they might use uh, these opportunities uh, for to, to hone John Strong and Stu Holden even stronger as a team. Now, because I assume when they get to World Cup coverage, Lawless, who is John Strong's partner in uh, MLS matches, will be in the studio, and then they will have Holden paired with Strong uh, as one of the top teams. So maybe this is a chance to get, create a really good uh American number number one or number two team at Fox when it comes to the World Cup, which I think is is good for the sport in this country. Mm-hmm. So, um, but but again, um, I am I'm concerned a little bit about the burnout factor, and I was concerned about that last summer with uh, sorry, not last summer, two summers ago, 2015, with Rob Stone when you had uh, or was it last summer? No, it was two summers ago when you had the Women's World Cup and Gold Cup 
uh, on the heels of one another. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of Rob Stone, too, I mean, it was actually refreshing to have uh, Kate Abdo hosting uh, the Tuesday broadcast of the Champions League on Fox. That was nice to see. But uh, but going back, Kartik, to what you said in terms of uh, Fox using the Champions League to, to promote their FIFA properties um, and other properties, they're already doing it. I mean, pre-game, too, on, on Tuesday, they had an interview with, with Bruce Arena about the Gold Cup. Then they had an interview with Grant Wall about U.S. soccer's uh, new anthem policy in terms of U.S. Uh, national anthem. Um, so they're, they're trying to get as much juice as possible out of the, the UEFA Champions League uh, pre-game to cross-promote uh, their other properties. And, and actually, maybe Kartik, maybe you're right, maybe they'll be doing even more of that too and we'll get less and less uh, UEFA Champions League um, pre-game and, and more and more uh, promotion of uh, other properties. All right, Kartik. So, and, I, and actually, let me add one more thing too. So, I did watch um, uh, Pumas against Santos Laguna on Sunday. I think it was, yeah, Sunday on Facebook Live. And, and again, it was uh, Ramsey's uh, Sandoval and uh, Nico Cantor doing the uh, commentary. Uh, and again, enjoyable. I, I just really enjoy it. And uh, I think uh, Nico Cantor, uh, as a as a commentator in English, sounds fantastic. Sounds very energetic, and, and I think it's perfect for uh, Facebook Live. Uh, so we shall see. I, I know Don Garber this week in, in an interview uh, hinted that there'll be a major announcement soon coming in regards to MLS games being available via social media. Uh, the hints so far have been that it's more Twitter uh, that's more likely, but, uh, but who knows? Maybe it'll be Facebook Live. But uh, I think when that comes, that'll be uh, that's, that's, that's a good move uh, on MLS's part. So, Kartik, before we move into the next segment, I do want to mention uh, our sponsor, SeatGeek. And uh, buying tickets to sports and concerts may uh, can be way too complicated at times, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, and there's nothing quite like uh, seeing your favorite team uh, or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets. I've been looking at uh, the Gold Cup for the summer, and um, so I can be anywhere with, with my phone, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. And it's designed to, to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare t- uh, prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your, your buck, SeatGeek uh, grades every ticket based on values to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Uh, plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with full confidence. Now, best of all for, for listeners, uh, you get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. And to get your $20 rebate on tickets, just go ahead and download the SeatGeek app, uh, go to the settings tab, and then click on uh, add a promo code, enter promo code WSTPOD, and then SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Now, Kartik, in terms of uh, TV streaming news this week, uh, PlayStation View has added a multi-view feature to allow you to watch three channels at once. Um, the bad news is it's only available on uh, PS4, but the good news is is that, um, and we've seen this on similar, on Fox Sports Go and Fox Soccer to Go and ESPN3, kind of the mosaic or the multi-view, where, so on PlayStation View, you can have your main uh, game or main program featured in uh, kind of 
basically taken up about three quarters of, of the screen. And then on the, uh, the remaining sections on, on the screen, you can see kind of, uh, small, not thumbnails, bigger than thumbnails, but small, um, channels also at the same time. So you could conceivably have three games on at once and have your main one that you're focused on. And then on the other two, have them kind of, uh, on the background kind of playing so that if you do want to switch action, Play, uh, Champions League is a perfect example of that, being able to, you mean, from Napoli, Real Madrid to Arcelona, uh, Arsenal against Bayern Munich, you can uh, kind of switch them back and forth with that. What about Kartik? Any other news uh, from the TV streaming news space? Yeah. Um, in fact, there, there were a couple uh, pieces of news this week. Uh, Americans, this was not going to surprise anyone, but Americans have fewer TVs on average than they did in 2009. In 2009, the average per household was 2.6 TVs. In 2015, the number dropped to 2.3. It would be interesting to see the um, how many smartphones and how many uh, uh, laptop computers are in each household, too, because that, that I'm sure, has increased in that uh, eight-year period since 2009. Yeah, and also this week too, uh, British TV streaming service uh, BritBox launched in the US. Uh, this is one we talked about, I think, back in October or November. Uh, we wanted to pay close attention to it because it's a joint partnership between the BBC and ITV. Uh, but unfortunately, so far from what we've been able to tell, there's no soccer on it. So you can't expect any match of the day from BBC um, or programming from ITV. So it looks like it's not going to be a hit for soccer fans. But uh, if you enjoy your British uh, dramas or comedies or science fiction and shows that uh, you like to see on UK TV, that's something uh, that's worth checking out. And they're offering a free trial at this moment. And then Kartik, uh, any other news? Yeah, this is not surprising. Uh, however, now we have some uh, degree of confirmation that it's going to happen. Awful announcing reporting that layoffs are expected at ESPN, including on-air talent. And that's something that I think was coming and has been coming. They have a lot of soccer personnel that do ESPN FC and do other soccer-related, the boot room, etc., other things that are not... Uh, necessarily connected to games and live sporting events. And I, I, my, my guess is that uh, it's much easier to cut people from studio shows, shows than live sporting events. So uh, let's see what happens with the ESPN FC program. I don't think the program's in jeopardy, but maybe some of the personnel's in jeopardy and uh, see how that shakes down in the next uh, few months. Yeah, definitely one to watch because it could uh, impact possibly so soccer coverage in terms of some of the, uh, the personnel that we see and... Um uh, on, on a, well, it's a weekly basis or a uh, daily basis. Um, and then Kartik, actually, do you want to take the next one too in terms of some of the, uh, the TV numbers? Yeah. So Fox Sports One lost, uh, 565,000 households, uh, in, uh, 20, in February 2017. Uh, ESPN, uh, lost 422,000. Uh, the previous month we'd seen ESPN had lost more households than FS1, so it kind of goes back and forth. NBS, NBCSN, which had a horrible loss in January of 2017, gained 1.3 million households in, in, uh, February. The assumption there meaning some, uh, cable system that wasn't picking, did not have them as part of, probably had them on the premium package, bumped them up to, a basic package. That's my assumption with that. But they gained 1.3 million households, which is great news for the Premier League. Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. So moving on to the next segment, that's uh, soccer TV ratings. 
And uh, a couple of different numbers from the MLS so far that we've gotten thus far. So the MLS opener on Friday night uh, between Portland and Minnesota, uh, that was on FS1, uh, was uh, an entertaining game to watch, but uh, the numbers on the viewing side, not so great. Uh, there was uh, 235,000 people across uh, FS1 and Fox supporters com combined. And I just got an email, actually, from Univision. So Univision's broadcast of the game, that was the FC Dallas against Galaxy on Saturday, um, is the most viewed MLS match on any network last week, regardless of language, and had uh, 509,000 people watch that one. So over over half a million, and that one was on uh, Unamas. And... Um, yeah, yeah. So, so actually, better numbers there from Unamas, and we should be getting the numbers, I think, from ESPN um, for and, and Fox for Sunday's broadcasts, and we'll be posting those on uh, World Soccer Talk as soon as we have those. Kartik, what, what about some of the other numbers? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought the um, the numbers were disappointing, really, it, it, uh, for for MLS. But uh, we had seven hundred twenty-eight thousand viewers for US. Uh, England in, uh, in terms of, uh, the women's game that was on Fox over the air on, uh, Saturday. Now, again, we've gone through the, the number of affiliates who didn't show that game. So, uh, 728,000, it's a, it's a low number for network television, but there were affiliates who didn't show the game still. Um, you would have liked a higher number, five o'clock on a Saturday. That's a, a prime spot. A uh, 614,000 on, on, uh, NBCSN at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday for Arsenal Liverpool. That's a high number for NBCSN. It is not a high number for that time slot. Those games usually being on NBC over there are not a high number for an Arsenal Liverpool game, but still it beat every MLS telecast this weekend, uh, worth noting, although it did fall behind several Liga MX telecasts. So, uh, those are the, those are the other numbers from the weekend. I, I'd be curious to see, uh, the, the numbers for, um, Arsenal Liverpool, if it had been on NBC over the year, I think that could have pushed uh, a million. Yeah, yeah, it, should, it would have been close for sure. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait. Maybe next season we'll see what what, the, what those numbers are. But yeah, the Liga MX numbers that will be uh, reported on WorldSoccerTalk.com, uh, I think on Thursday. So keep an eye out for those. And actually, all of the games uh, we'll, we'll have the numbers for those on the website. Uh, moving on to our listener mailbag, and the first uh, message is from Sunny SoCal Rob Twenty Five from Twitter, and he says, uh, "I wanted to share my thoughts on the, on one of the old episodes with uh, Jonathan Tannerwald from a, about two weeks ago. The topic of the Foxes pre-game uh, uh, Champions League coverage. Mr. Tannerwald stated that Grant Wall breaks news of MLS US soccer. Not saying the information is irrelevant or not, but Fox." could have Grant on, on the Talking Heads shows uh, the six hours prior to Champions League pregame begins. But we know how FS1 feels about soccer on their channel from the past few years. This is one of many reasons why many soccer fans are happy that Fox is going to uh, not continue its uh, Champions League coverage uh, after next year with Turner Sports. Uh, thank you for your time and the great work you guys do on the pod and the website. So, Rob, uh, yeah, definitely thank you for uh, that message, sending that in. And I, I agree. I mean, it's one of those things. That's that, a great point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they do have six hours of talking head shows that could be, I mean, Grant, if it is breaking news, break it. Don't hold it and wait until like 2.10 Eastern time and then interrupt uh, Champions League pregame coverage and have like, I mean, 10 or 15 minutes of, 
of news that, I mean, for the MLS audience, it is interesting. For those outside of MLS, eh, not so much most of the time. But, um, but yeah, definitely great points there from uh, Sunny SoCal, Rob25 on Twitter. The, the the next one is also from Twitter. This is from Jason Hicks. And this one, Kartik, maybe it's a little bit more for you on this one. He says, uh, I'm in Baltimore. I'm a DC United fan. Uh, I'm supposed to be able to get games on my over-the-air signal, which is 24-3. I'm also in the MLS live blackout zone. So I can't watch games. Uh, MLS is losing the home market. And uh, he's probably mentioning, too, as far as like DC United, um, the home games, that he's in the area. He has MLS Live, um, but they're blacked out, both on MLS Live and on over the air. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's uh, disappointing. I mean, that's that's a problem. That's ultimately MLS has to get past that sort of thing, and they have to somehow balance the local considerations for broadcast and the ability of people to stream the game and at their convenience on on different platforms. Balance that, and they could not figure it out yet. Uh, I'm not surprised by Jason's comment. I'm just disappointed by it. Yeah, and the other thing too for Jason too to consider is that you could use a VPN, a virtual private network, and then log in uh, through MLS Live that way. I mean, you're still a paying subscriber, but you could log in from a, a different location in the U.S. And then, uh, I mean, you're paying for the service. You're paying for MLS Live, and it's 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 ridiculous that you're not able to actually watch your DC United uh, game. Uh, through a service that you're paying for, paying good money for. So anyway, that's the suggest- suggestion there. Last but not least, we have a uh, question from email, actually a comment from, through email. And this is from uh, our listener, Dave Brunk. And he says, your in-depth analysis of Turner Sports was very interesting as well. Uh, many points that you both made I had not considered. I'm definitely in the camp of they can't do any worse than Fox. Uh, it seems to me in general that Fox hires the most annoying personalities in sports uh, Buck, Co- uh, Cowherd, uh, Sharp, uh, Rose, Lalas, and tries to create fake conflicts in the studio discussions. Who enjoys that? I find the mute button quickly. Any thoughts there, Kartik? Yeah, I, I, um, <laughs> I, I, I think uh, that he speaks for a lot of people when he says that. Um, and this is part of the reason why, again, uh, you said last week you were, you were kind of taken aback by the amount of jubilation, uh, you saw when, it, when you broke the story, when World Soccer Talk broke the story that Turner had gained the UCL rights at Fox's expense, but this is part of it. I mean, these are the sorts of things that drive people away from Fox. And I, I, I know of several people, including our former co-host on the show, Morgan Green, uh, who uh, openly brag about not knowing Spanish, but watch games in, in Spanish if they're on another network, uh, particularly Copa America this past summer, uh, if they're on another network, uh, and uh, they can avoid watching Fox. So Morgan, for example, watched the entire Copa America on Univision, even though he doesn't know Spanish. And that's uh, that's the general sentiment of a lot of hardcore soccer fans. Right. Yeah, it, it is strange, though, at the end of the day, I mean, to think about it in terms of Fox has this vision of what they think is best for their audience in terms of the the way that they have these fake uh, debates and fake conflicts where they kind of rehearse 
uh, a lot of the things they're going to say and then take sides, even if they don't agree with the sides, but they're, they're taking opposing sides just to have a fake debate and then have these broadcasts. And I mean, I don't know, most of the opinions I hear, the vast majority of people are just saying like, I hate this type of coverage, but they continue to do it. And it's not just soccer. It's, it's cro- across the board. Um, it's just in this day and age, I mean, you mean, I don't know, fake news and all that stuff. It just seems so fake and, uh, um, uh, uh, basically, it just seems fake. It just just seems like something that's. I, I don't want to watch that. I want to hear real opinions from real people saying what they believe. And and actually, in some ways, that's kind of how I feel that Eric Winalda gets shafted because he has strong opinions. And give him a few minutes, and he's 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 convincing. He has some, whether you like him or not, he's a very uh, intelligent person that understands soccer probably better than most people in the United States. Especially from a coaching perspective and, and player development, etc. But he keeps on getting held back, even though that Fox is supposed to be this very kind of debate-heavy type of network. But then he gets cast aside where he doesn't fit into this uh, this approach that they have, where it's just you know, give me twenty seconds of opinion about why uh, Wenger should be in, uh, sacked or not, and it's it's hard to do it in twenty seconds. You 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 miss something, you lose out. Ah. All right, and it caught That's my rant for the day. So, so let's move on to the next segment, which is um, our final segment of the week, and that is uh, a topic that Kartik, you and I have been talking about for a few weeks uh, offline, and that is the question whether or not Premier League viewing numbers have plateaued, and if they have, uh, which all the indications are basically looking at the numbers in terms of the TV viewership that we're not getting some monster numbers like we have in the past, and it seems to have plateaued where it's comfortable week in, week out, but we're not seeing huge gains. Why is that? Why are the numbers seemingly plateauing and not increasing as soccer becomes more and more popular, uh, I'd argue, in, in the United States? Kartik, what are your thoughts on this and kind of some of your uh, insight? Uh, a couple of things. First off, I'm not sure soccer is becoming more popular in the United States. I think we might have reached uh, we might have reached a plateau or, or, or a, uh, a a kind of level for now. Now that could always change after the next World Cup. That could always change uh, due to some um, some sort of uh, uh, event that drives interest in it. But I think uh, th- we're looking at a pretty static situation now. We're not losing fans either. But I think it's pretty, uh, we're not gaining fans at the, at the rate we were from, let's say, 2009 to 2013, 2014, or through the 2014 World Cup. Uh, we're not gaining fans at that rate. So I think that's, that's the, the first uh, point. I think the, um, and it, it also, look, this is uh, an unfortunate thing, but the World Cup, I think, well, let's see what Fox does with it as far as promotion with the World Cup being off of uh, ESPN and Disney Networks and onto Fox Networks, News Corp Networks, doesn't uh, doesn't do a whole lot of, uh, to drive the sport. I, I, I uh, have to go back to Sonny, Sonny SoCal Rob's point. I think there is a, a bit of hostility to the sport on Fox among non-soccer uh, people, which uh, John Skipper worked so hard to overcome at ESPN, and that hasn't happened at Fox yet. So promotion of the sport, and I know we're talking about the Premier League, which is on NBC, but this is all part and parcel of the same thing and why maybe uh, soccer is not, soccer's numbers are not improving. I think um, it's a long season and there's a lot of excitement about the league in general or about certain big teams, but it's difficult to hold people's interest throughout the season. It's not, it, 
it's for an August to May season. It's basically an entire school year. If you have kids, your kids are in school the same length of time as the Premier League season. And it's tough for uh, parents. It's tough for uh, for people who are into teams to watch every single game. There's so many games in so many different competitions that I think that there's kind of a waning interest there. We see spikes when uh, Manchester United plays, and I think that's a factor too that they haven't been the um, uh, they haven't been the dominant team that they once were. Um, I also think. Uh, and, and this is a, you know, a theory of mine that La Liga, we see the numbers on Bien have grown pretty steadily the last, last few years. Uh, not many people are talking about this, but we're talking about uh, La Liga broadcasts going from 50 or 75,000 people to like 250,000 people. That is a huge growth on a channel that doesn't have, that, that is in about 21 to 22 million homes in this country. So I think you're finding a lot of youth soccer fans maybe subscribing to BN and watching La Liga because at this point in time, it is a better league than the Premier League and also the Premier League performances. This is, this is part and parcel of the same thing. The performances of Premier League clubs in Europe has been so poor of late that uh, maybe it's an unfair metric to, to base comparison of leagues on European competition. It's an inexact science. It's, it's not. But we don't have another metric, right? We, we have no other way of determining what the best leagues are. There is no question La Liga and the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga, which has very poor ratings, by the way, on Fox, but those two leagues have performed better in European competition than the Premier League the last five seasons, four or five seasons. So basically, you're in this position where um, if there are new fans to the sport, maybe they're being driven to La Liga. Now, La Liga, if they get themselves off of BN and onto a Fox or a Turner or uh, an ESPN in the next uh, cycle, they really could push the Premier League. I'm not sure they'll overtake the Premier League in this country, but I have to admit, Chris, the numbers, the growth in numbers and interest in La Liga and it, and the growth in BN's ratings uh, on, the, on that product have really surprised me the last few years. Yeah, so two Sundays ago, this is the Sunday that was the uh, League Cup final between Man United and Southampton. Uh, we wrote a story about this at willsoccertalk.com that went deeper into the numbers. But there were two games that showed on um, that, that day from being sports on the, on the La Liga side. So they had uh, Atleti against Barcelona, and they had uh, Villarreal against Real Madrid. Uh, both of those games had greater than 500,000 viewers. Um, most of those viewers were on BN Sports uh, in Espanol, uh, but one of the games I think was uh, actually I think the Leti, Atleti against Barcelona was at ten uh, fifteen Eastern on both. Right, it was right before. Right, it was on both on English BN and the Spanish BN, and that had I think five hundred or six hundred six hundred and something thousand. The Real Madrid against Villarreal game was um, that one, I believe, if I, if I remember correctly, was only on BN. And, well, actually, anyway, it, it, huge numbers from from La Liga for, um, of course, Real Madrid and Barcelona, but in separate games, and just gives you an idea of kind of the opportunity there. I, I think with, I agree with you, Kartik, uh, on some of these some of these things. Disagree on some, but in terms of La Liga, that has a huge potential opportunity to grow massively. I mean, you and I know just from walking in the streets or going to soccer practices or games, the the number of kids that wear even Messi shirts or Real Madrid, Real Madrid shirts, Barcelona shirts is incredible. There's, there's more kids wearing these these types of uh, shirts than any other uh, soccer brand. Yet at the same time, to be able to watch I mean, Real Madrid and Barcelona games, if you don't have BN Sports, you're out of luck. Imagine if those games, 
you mean, even if it's the, the Real Madrid and Barcelona games, imagine if those games were on, on Turner Sports or on NBC over the air or Fox over the air, any of these over the air networks or kind of, uh, basic cable stations. Those numbers would go through the roof in terms of now having these kids be able to watch their favorite player, um, in action, you mean, uh, on a, on a weekend. Going back to the beginning, Kartik, in terms of um, soccer's growth in the United States and whether it has plateaued, I, I argue that it's still continuing to grow, although it's harder to see. So it's the number two most popular sport, um, I think kids from I think 12 to 23, I think it is. Um, it's also the number one uh, most popular sport among Hispanics. And with the Hispanic uh, demographic growing incredibly fast, and uh, with these kids, 12 to 20, 23 or so, as they get older, you mean, and they're already huge soccer fans, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. It's going to a gradual increase, but it's not going to happen immediately. But where we're not seeing it is we're not seeing it because I don't think there's different types, different pockets of soccer viewers or soccer people in the, in the United States. Uh, these kids who are, are teens that are into soccer, they may not be watching soccer as much on television, maybe a game a weekend, but they're out playing the game uh, or they're playing FIFA on video games. Yes, they are soccer fans, but they may not be hardcore soccer viewers that just even sit like like we do and watch uh, all these great games each weekend. So I think soccer is growing, um, but the viewing numbers may not correlate with that because you know I mean it's it's going to take time for those uh, those people by the time they reach maybe I don't know late twenties, early thirties to be at a stage where in their life they're um, more casual and wanting to watch watch sports more so than than actually play them and participate in them. I will say though, Kartik, that um, in term, going back to the Premier League and why have Premier League numbers plateaued? I think I think we've kind of reached a point where there's there's two things happening in terms of um, these games. We it's a, it's got a pretty cozy schedule where we know most of the games are at twelve thirty on a Saturday or on ABC, um, and we've seen more games on NBC this this year. But the issue I see that with that too is that illegal streaming is rampant. It's Bigger and easier than ever before to be able to watch games illegal, illegally. And we know that, I mean, all the numbers point that more and more people are using uh, mobile phones and tablets, uh, to watch, uh, and laptops to watch, uh, games. And it is so easy to find games illegally. It's a lot harder to find them legally and go through all the, all the hoops that you have to jump through to actually be able to watch these games uh, legally. So, so that has an impact on the numbers. So the viewing numbers, if we were able to look at the viewing numbers and say, okay, now, and this goes for all sports, and this includes MLS and NFL and all those where, where we've seen numbers kind of dropping. Uh, if we were able to add in the illegal streams into these numbers, I think we would find, we would, we'd be shocked at how many people are actually watching, uh, these games that, uh, and now the reported numbers are the legal numbers, but, but it is what it is. So I think there's a few different things happening there too. You mentioned Ma- Manchester United. I think that ha- that has an impact on the Premier League in terms of, uh, you mean kind of the the force that they are in terms of just the fan base. But uh, if they're not doing well in the Premier League, um, that has an impact on numbers. They're the number one driving force in terms of the bigger numbers uh, are those Man United, United matches. And then uh, last but not least, I think Champions League has a huge impact. I mean, how many years has this been now, Kartik, where we've seen Premier League clubs just just falter in the Premier League uh, in the Champions League in terms of just really poor performances, uh, getting completely kind of outplayed by uh, foreign teams, 
uh, you know, Bayern Munich against Arsenal is a perfect example. 10-2 in aggregate. That's, that's embarrassing. And it's one of those things that I think it's hard for new fans to, who are getting into soccer, looking for a team to support and saying, okay, well, maybe, maybe the Premier League's the league for me. And, and saying, okay, well, let me check out Arsenal and see, maybe I'll, I'll pick them as a team. And then seeing them go up against opposition, against, uh, I mean, whether it's Bayern Munich or Barcelona and get completely outplayed. And I think it's one of those things that, uh, especially when you're younger, I think we're more likely to pick winners. Um, and that, and that ultimately is hurting the Premier League in terms of growing the, the fan base and, and growing the, the rabid support for the Premier League and, and those games and those clubs is if they're not doing well in the Champions League, you know, I mean, uh, that's got, that's got to hurt them in terms of, uh, maybe, maybe they won't pick them as a team to, to, um, maybe they'll pick Barcelona or Real Madrid again as, as their favorite team. What, what say you, Kartik? Yeah, I agree with that. I think the performances in the Champions League, uh, there, there are a lot of fans, and, and I find this kind of hilarious because uh, I've had this argument with more than one Premier League fan on Twitter who say, well, the, cha- the Champions League, yeah, you, and in fact, one of the fans told me, everyone knows the Champions League is not a good determiner of what the best league is. I don't think everyone knows that, but uh, they make the argument the Champions League is, an, is, is not... You cannot use that as your guide to what the best league in Europe is. Fair enough. However, when the Premier League was ascendant and the Premier League was putting three out of the four semifinalists in the, in the semifinals of the Champions League every year, I used to hear from Premier League fans about how bad the other leagues in Europe were. By comparison, because of that. And they, and that was their only piece of evidence was, well, Liverpool makes the semifinals every year and Chelsea makes the semifinals every year. They're much better than Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern, all these, all these clubs, Juventus, etc. So, uh, you can't have it both ways. Uh, I do, th- oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to add one more thing and I was going to say just a, kind of a different tangent too is that I think the other thing though too that's impacting not the, not just the Premier League, but all the soccer leagues is that there's so much choice now, Kartik. I mean, you can pick and choose, I mean, any, any of these major leagues are accessible, even minor leagues are so more accessible today than they've ever been. So you and I, say 2006 might have watched, I don't know, if, having a guess, 80% of our consuming watching games was probably the Premier League. Today, it might be 20%. And the rest of that might be divvied up between you know, Major League Soccer, USL, NASL, uh, Liga 1, you mean Serie A. I mean, there's so many different types of games and leagues that we can choose from that that must have an impact on terms of the, the, the legal viewing numbers of Premier League matches um, in the U.S., yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that that is absolutely 100% the case. And, and, uh, th- there's been a, uh, an accessibility of other leagues now or an awareness of other leagues that have driven people to watching those other products. And I, I mean, I'll admit it. I don't watch as I still watch the Premier League more than I watch any other league, but I'm watching. I don't watch every Premier League game now. I mean, I used to actually even. DVR games that were on uh, Premier League Extra Time and go back and watch them after I was done watching the live games yep. yeah, yeah. on uh, yeah, whatever too. channel. And I, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I used to watch every single Premier League match that was shown on television. So kind of from the, the Saturday morning, the early broadcast, usually kind of, we used to have two at the 10 a.m. and then one on the uh, Saturday at 12.30. I mean, so there's usually about six or seven games. Now we get all 10. Um, and I'm 
picky and, and I'm choosing different games for different reasons. You I mean, sometimes I might switch and watch more, I mean, MLS one, one weekend or, or whatever league it may be, but I'm more varied in, in the type of games I watch and the different leagues I watch than, than I was 10 years ago. So, so that's changed. And you and I, Kartik, are probably you know, some of the harder, hardest of the hardcore Premier League uh, viewers in the U.S. And, and our habits have changed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that all of these factor into why, uh, the, the ratings have not really moved. Uh, Jonathan Tanwell, when he was on with us a few weeks ago, mentioned that the, uh, the all-time, uh, highest broadcast for the Premier League on NBC, I believe there might have been a higher number on Fox, uh, leading into an NFL game once, but, uh, that's, uh, that was many, many years ago. It is still a game from 2014, I believe, right? Early 2014? Yeah, yeah. Although it is misleading because of that one game that, uh, was it the Liverpool Man United game? It was the one that was on right before a, uh, super, the second half was on right before a, uh, NFL game. And that number, if it had been a, an actual full 90 minutes, that. Right, would have been higher. It would, it, yeah. Well, that would have been the number one most watched game because, because they aggregated the two together from NBCSN and NBC ended up being a lower number. It was still one point something million. But, but still, but his point is, is, is fair and accurate in terms of at this point, you would think maybe five years ago, you'd think we'd be hitting, you know, 1.5 or 2 million viewers and we haven't hit those numbers yet. And I still think uh, even though there's many reasons why the Premier League viewing is down, I think I still think that illegal streaming is just having such a huge impact. Just the other day, I was listening to radio, and again, another show I was listening to, just talk sh- uh, talk radio. Somebody called in to ask the question: Okay, well, I have Cody and I have an Amazon Fire. Is this legal or not? And they said, of course not. No, it's not legal. It's but it is so prevalent. The number of people, just average people on the streets that are looking at these devices and buying them and watching all the movies and, and content that they possibly can want uh, for free. And uh, at the end of the day, those missing out, those losing losing out on this are the, the rights holders that are paying millions, hundreds of millions of dollars for these rights. Uh, yes, they have advertising dollars, and yes, uh, they have money from sub- subscri- subscri- subscriptions, but at the end of the day, they're the ones that are losing out on this in terms of the rampant uh, I- illegal streaming that's that's uh, all over the place. Yeah, correct. All right, Kartik, so th- let's wrap this one up. Um, so for this show, um, well, actually, Kartik, can, uh, l- let us know where listeners can find you on the internet if they want to uh, beat you up with some, uh, or hit you up with some questions. Easiest place is uh, KKFLA737 on Twitter. Okay, and don't forget uh, to send in your comments, questions, feedback, or opinions uh, for us to read out on air. Email is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Twitter is at WSoccerTalk. And Facebook is facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. All right, Kartik, lead us out. Enjoy your football. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.